Well, so it's good to be with you uh, today. Um, the passage uh, that we have is, uh, is a very happy subject about suffering. <laughs> um, and it is a, a theme that, um, if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, uh, Tew in particular has been preaching uh, through First Peter. And these are a people, uh, a group of Christians, who experience uh, great suffering. Right? It was in the first century. There was great suffering for, for Christians, for those who were um, wanting to lift up uh, the faith. And so we begin in this passage with uh, this very apparent um, statement of suffering um, that says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. Right? Suffering is something that should not be a surprise. And yet, here in this passage, we have this encouragement to rejoice because those who suffer, in this, uh, according to this passage, are, uh, are participating in the suffering of Christ. Christ, of course, suffered to the point of death. Is that what we are to do? How is this joyful? But maybe even more importantly than joy, how is this... Um, uh, is this saying that we are to expect suffering? Or is there something wrong if we don't suffer? Now, suffering, of course, is not just a Christian experience. And uh, all people in the world uh, suffer in different ways. And uh, as such, people throughout history have, have wrestled with this question of suffering. And, and I thought um, it, it'd be worth just considering a, a couple examples of, of ways that um, people around the world have uh, wrestled with this question of suffering. Uh, in particular, uh, probably the classic example would be from Buddhism. That within Buddhism, there is a very strong sense in which suffering is everywhere, that everyone experiences suffering. But that suffering comes out of desire. That is, you want something, you don't get it, you suffer. You want peace, you don't get it, you suffer, right? And so for, uh, uh, for many Buddhists, the emphasis then is to get rid of desire, right? And that's why uh, um, Buddhism, in, especially in South Asia and Southeast Asia, um, you know, there, there's a very strong emphasis on the monastic tradition, monks, Buddhist monks, right? Because it's this idea of getting rid of all desire so that you do not, do not suffer, to end suffering is by getting rid of desire. But then, of course, there's also the more uh, recent example of another uh, religious figure, um, Yoda, um, who in, in Star Wars, he's, he's uh, speaking to young, young Anakin uh, 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 Skywalker, um, and, and he says to him, there's fear in you. I, I can't do the voice, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, he says, you know, there's fear in you, and fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Okay? So for Yoda, fear is the key that uh, takes you down a path towards suffering. Well, of course, there's other ways that um, we can think of um, engaging uh, this question of suffering, um, you know, uh, other than desire or fear. 
Of course, in traditional Chinese culture, um, you know, we could think of uh, the overcoming of suffering through prosperity. Okay? Um, this is why you know, during Chinese New Year, the, the classic uh, greeting for, for Chinese New Year is not Happy New Year, okay? which is kind of ironic. You know? and, and, uh, I picked these, uh, these red envelopes intentionally because the translation is very odd. Um, if, if you read the Chinese, it means something very different from what the English says. The English says, best wishes for you. Okay, the Chinese is basically saying, be rich. Okay, that is a standard greeting in Chinese for Chinese New Year. Be prosperous, be wealthy, make money. Okay, and so for, in, in a very traditional Chinese uh, culture, there's this emphasis on financial um, uh, prosperity as being a way to address the suffering in life, to get rid of suffering. Um, but one, one last example I wanted to bring up is, is a little uh, more technical, and I apologize for this. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay? And, and it's a fancy word because sociologists came up with a word. I don't know why they came up with this word, but it's a word that is used uh, by sociologists, uh, in, in particular in America. Um, and it's really capturing this idea that, especially within the Western world, uh, many people strive um, towards just life as good and happy, right? And as long as we just get along, as long as we just uh, do good, everybody does good and gets along, that will end all pain and suffering. And so this uh, moralistic therapeutic theism, uh, sociologists have, have talked about this in particular in the West, and uh, for both uh, Christians and non-Christians, that the goal of life is to be a good and moral person. Now, in and of itself, uh, each of these ways of thinking about life are not fundamentally problematic, I don't think. Personally, I don't like to suffer. I don't like pain. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't like to be hurt, right? I don't like to experience these things. And it's probably, uh, maybe, you know, there's things that if, if I didn't need or desire new things or, or certain kinds of security in life, maybe it would be easier. Right? Or if I had a little bit more money, maybe life would be easier. And surely, um, you know, the world would be a happier place if um, we had fewer wars and conflicts, simply if people got along. Now, one of the problems, though, with this is that for each of these examples, the ways of thinking and living puts the onus on us, puts the onus, the responsibility on us as bringing about this happiness, the money, the success. And so what that means also is that if the responsibility is up to us to bring about these things, then if hurt and, and strife and suffering exists in this world, then it is also because of us. It is because of our failures. It is because of what we have failed to do. We are the problem. We are the ones to blame. And so herein lies a problem in terms of how these various ways of thinking about suffering um, uh, exists as. 
Now, if we look at our passage for today, I think it's important to note that it's actually quite different from these other ways of thinking. And part of it is that it's actually not talking about suffering in general. It's not about everyday suffering of, of everybody, right? It is actually talking about various specific kinds of suffering. So it says in verses 14 through 16, you know, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What we see here in these verses is that, you know, many people suffer in general for things that they may have done, okay? They're a murderer, a thief, a criminal of, of sorts, right? So they are, in, in, in effect, suffering as a consequence of what they have done wrong. They have committed a crime and experienced pain and hurt because they have rightly been deemed a criminal. And these are, in a sense, negative examples, right? Uh, extreme examples. But in contrast to these, Peter offers a positive example. That is the choice of being and living as a Christian. That the question is, are you being insulted? Are you suffering as a Christian because of your faith? But even more so because of uh, who God is that you are trying to live out. And for many Christians in the first century, suffering was quite severe. Now, clearly, these are uh, two extremes, um, and there's a range of reasons uh, people suffer. But for Peter, he expresses that it should not be seen as punishment for a Christian to suffer as a Christian. It is one thing to suffer in general. It is another thing to suffer because you, are, you have done wrong, but it is an entirely different thing to suffer because you're living as a Christian. Now, when I, when I was reading this passage, I was thinking, well, why is this even a question, right? And we have to realize that in the first century uh, Roman Empire, like many other uh, countries in the world actually today, to be a Christian was not a welcome thing. You may recall, for instance, in, in uh, the Bible, uh, Romans 10, there's this, phrase, uh, there's this passage that talks about confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts uh, that he has been raised and we are saved. And I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, that, that was what I was asked to pray about, right? Pray that Jesus is the Lord, accept him uh, into your hearts and, and believe, right? Now, this, this phrase is really interesting, to say in the first century, Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. It, it, it's something that doesn't make as much sense today because we don't have lords necessarily like, like we do, did in the first century. You know, it, Lord is, is like your master, okay? The, the one that you, you, you follow after and, and are, are bound to, right? So if Jesus is Lord, it's not just a statement, a theological statement, because in the first century, when you said Jesus is Lord, you're not saying that Caesar is Lord. It was expected in the first century that 
people within the Roman Empire would confess that Caesar is Lord. So to confess that Jesus is Lord is to say that it's not just a theological statement, it's a political statement. It's saying, I do not follow uh, the Roman Empire. I do not follow Caesar. I follow Jesus. And so in the first century, it was costly to be a Christian and to identify as such. And so the encouragement that Peter has for the Christians who suffer is that Jesus not only suffered and can sympathize with their sufferings, even more, he says in verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirits of glory and of God rests on you. That is, God blesses Christians who suffer, who suffer as Christians. And when we suffer in this world, the sweetness of the Holy Spirit is experienced, is rests upon us. I was thinking about this, and um, uh, you know, there, there's this really interesting uh, um, sermon uh, I, was, uh, I, I read a number of years ago uh, by a Chinese pastor uh, in the 1950s, uh, Wang Ningdao. Um, and he was, right, he was preaching in the midst of the communist revolution in China. And he was preaching from Acts 7.55, when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was being killed. And he notices something in this, this passage. And he notices that when Stephen is martyred in Acts chapter 7, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And Wang Lingdao, he explains that it's significant that when the disciples of Christ bravely witness for his name and his word, suffer humiliation and attack, persecution and death, even the Christ who sits at the right hand of God takes note and stands up from his seat, expresses respect and welcome to them. What a glorious thing to contemplate. And indeed, if you look uh, throughout the, the uh, New Testament or you, you know, references in, in the Old Testament to, to Christ, is always sitting at the right hand of God. And this is the only passage that we have of Jesus standing and it's really this idea that God blesses Christians who suffer. Not because it is somehow good to suffer, and we should even seek it out. And it is not as though there's something wrong if Christians don't suffer necessarily. But when Christians do suffer for living as Christians, living as God desires, we can rejoice as it brings glory and honor to God. Now, when I was thinking about this, you know, what, what happened with uh, Christians in China in the 1950s, but also Christians in the Roman Empire in the first century, you know, we may think, well, you know, bummer, right? Um, we're in present-day Scotland. Our suffering is when the Wi-Fi doesn't work um, or when the, that perfect picture was photobombed or whatever, right? We f so struggle from, you know, first world problems, right? Um, and I think, you know, there, there's, there's some truth to this uh, in, in, uh, that, that our experiences, you know, are, are nothing compared to the experiences uh, for, for Christians in, in so many different contexts in the world. I think, you know, one of the things we have to remember is that the context of 1 Peter is written to a people who are marginalized. 
that to be a Christian is to be of those who are suffering because you're on the margins of society. But this doesn't mean that suffering only happens because of a marginal status. Um, other books in the New Testament, the uh, book of James, which is the book just before 1 Peter, of course, starts with that line, you know, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and he goes on and talks about perseverance and what it does. And James is writing in a very similar period as Peter. But along with suffering, James is writing to Christians who include those who are both poor and marginalized, and those who are tremendously rich and privileged. And James, actually, is not very nice to these Christians who are rich. He tells them, for instance, to weep and wail because their wealth is rotten and gained from exploiting others. So whatever their status as poor and marginalized or rich elites, there are different things that Christians struggle with that Christians um, struggle with in living out the faith. Now, for many of us, I think um, we are neither extremely poor nor extremely rich. Uh, and the Bible uh, doesn't really have uh, much of a, what we call middle class in it. Okay? Um, but that doesn't mean that um, we uh, in Scotland today um, are not privileged nor are our comforts due to the discomforts of others. The key question for us is, are we willing to give up some of our comforts? Are we willing to suffer, to not be afraid to suffer, indeed to rejoice in suffering because God is being glorified through it? Um, I think I've, I've uh, mentioned this uh, once, once or twice before um, in, in this environment, but, I'll, I'll, uh, but you know, I think um, I, I, thought, I thought about this uh, story again when I was preparing for this sermon. That um, for you know many years ago, when I was uh, uh, working as an engineer, um, and I was um, thinking about going to seminary and, and um, uh, uh, serving uh, God and in different ministries, uh, I remember having a conversation with my, my father and uh, telling him that, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit my job as an engineer and I'm going to, you know, study uh, theology and, and uh, perhaps, uh, you know, leave, uh, uh, go to another country. And I, remind, I, I remember my dad, uh, this was over the phone, you know, back in the day when you had wired phones, right? You know, I was on the phone talking to my dad and um, he said to me, there is no God who would tell you to leave your family or leave your country to serve him. And he slams down the phone. He didn't say bye. You know. um, it was, it was a, a shocking uh, response from my dad. Um, and I was uh, reminded, uh, well, first of all, I was reminded, well, you know, there's Abraham, actually, that, that left his family and his home and everything, right? Uh, but I was also reminded of, of that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where where Paul said he had this, this thorn in his side, in his flesh, right? And he asked God to take it away. But God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And it is, it, 
you know, it, it's a reminder that um, that we do not overcome suffering by our own strength. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need God in our lives. Because it is He who works in our lives and has done a great job so that we may know him and we may um, uh, overcome suffering. It changes our perspective on suffering because God is God. And this is why at the very end of this, this passage it has this really interesting um, uh, verse um, that says that those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter's argument is not that we are able to overcome all our sufferings, or conversely, that we are to do nothing because God is doing all things. Right? Those are the extremes. You know, either we do everything or God does everything. Okay? Rather, it is that we are able to overcome sufferings as we live in step with God, as we commit ourselves to God's will. We are working in concert with him not against him and not independent of him. When we pray, you know, you think about it, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that your will be done on earth as in heaven. It is not simply asking God to just do things in this world, right? But it's asking and pleading to God that we may join and he may join with us in executing and bringing about his will on earth. It's also important here that uh, God is described as a creator. This is the only time in the New Testament God is described as a creator. It's very odd. I don't, I'm not sure why. But this is the only time in the whole New Testament that God is described as a creator. But as creator, God is concerned about creation. You know, think about it, uh, you know, for yourselves, you know, um, you know, if you are, uh, I, I, you know, my, my son, you know, he, he loves Legos, right? He loves building Legos. And, and, you know, now there's these massive Lego sets, you know, with like thousands of pieces, right? And you spend like days and days and weeks building up this Lego creation, right? Right? Or, you know, maybe you, you're, you're, a, you're a baker, you know, um, or, or, you know, and you follow these like really complex uh, um, recipes to, to bake something, right? And you spend hours, you know, trying to get uh, that macaroon working quite well. You know, I, I know um, uh, Betty loves trying to make macaroons. You know, but, you know, you, you spend all this time trying to, to, to make something perfect. And once you have it made, imagine if somebody comes and just tosses it, ruins it, demolishes it. Would you think, oh, that's fine. Or would you think, that's my creation. What just happened? I spent all this time, all this energy invested here. And yet God, as a faithful creator, loves his creation so much more that he sent his son to suffer so that we may be blessed not just us, but all of humanity, to be blessed and to live anew. 
I was uh, thinking when, um, when Tew was praying, you know, he was praying for, for um, you know, Palestine, Israel, and, uh, and, and for different conflicts around the world. And I, I was thinking, you know, what a, what a remarkable thing prayer is, you know? Why can we pray about something that we're nowhere near physically? Because God is beyond the location. That God is creator and is beyond this world. And yet is able to engage in and is able to touch every aspect of this world. And so we are to trust ourselves into the hands of a faithful creator because it is this creator this creator god who really cares for his creation really loves his creation and suffering for christians is not just suffering because of um you know something that 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 i experience but it's also suffering in the sense that the uh, Christians experience the hurt and suffering of others. That's what it means to be Christians, to be people like Christ, to have the feeling of Christ in this world. You know, I know naturally for myself, I'm not a very uh, compassionate person. <laughs> I'm not very empathetic. Um, uh, but I am constantly reminded that God desires for us to be compassionate people, to be empathetic people, to those around us and those beyond us. Um, and, and it's a reminder, especially as we move into the Advent season, that we are thinking of not just the, the many gifts that we need to give to people, you know, because that's what we do during Christmas, um, but also the ways that we bless, the ways that we bless others. And, you know, um, you know if you're, uh, uh, you know, there's this Operation um, uh, Shoebox thing, you know, that, that's a great way to, to express that kind of uh, love to people that we cannot physically, you know, come near, you know. Uh, but even beyond Christmas, beyond the Christmas season, we are called to be Christians, little Christs in this world, we suffer not only because of what we uh, have done or, or experienced, but also because if we are mindful of a God of, uh, who's a creator, all of creation hurts. And where creation hurts, we should hurt also, because God's heart hurts for this. So as Christians, we are to be those who suffer according to God's will and to commit ourselves to our faithful creator and to persevere in doing all good. Let us pray. Father God, we give thanks to you as our God, our Lord, our King, and our Creator that you are one who is, you are the only one who is beyond this world. Yet unlike um, 
the many gods of many religions in this world, you are the one God who is beyond this world. He came to this world to suffer on our behalf. To point us in the right way. And so that we may participate in your ways. Help us that we may be a people who are um, willing to suffer, willing to hurt, to live out your will. And help us, um, help us in our day to day that we may be walking in step with your will uh, on earth as it is in heaven. We give praise to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.